0: All right, sports track, male track, girl track, Bible track, right? <clears throat> Sorry, that's okay. Sometimes I have to do the dishes too, so that helps. And I probably would be wouldn't like the uh, the rope course either. Continue to pray for our students. What a great blessing uh, Vance and Stacy are to, to lead them, and then, of course, for growth in godliness in um, our students. So one of the great things is that um, most of our uh, students and youth that go through, that graduate, um, are still associated with Flat Creek, come to come to the Lord's house and that's what you want Uh, that's what we pray for so God bless them for those of you perhaps that are listening and watching via the internet we do welcome you this morning turn with me along with our congregation to 1st Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1 now we want you to follow along because it will mean more to you if you read what uh, is stated in the scripture, and we are, as we always do, we'll be about a number of passages of scripture this morning, so it's always good to follow along. We have Pew Bibles, and this particular text is on page 1014, so join with us, if you would, there. Last Sunday morning, we began to close out chapter 1, or close out holiness in the gospel, and so we read from verse 22 of chapter Uh, 1 through verse 3 of chapter 2, I'm going to do the very same thing again this morning. This is the Word of God. Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth, through the spirit and sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible, through the Word of God, which lives and abides forever, because... All flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man is the flower of grass. The grass withers, and its flowers fall away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Now this is the word which by the gospel was preached to you. Therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking, as newborn babes, desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. May the Lord Jesus bless his word to our hearing this morning. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, what we do not know, teach us. What we do not have, give us and make us like Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So the title of the message here for the next, uh, well, last week and this week, and uh, certainly won't finish this morning, is Holiness and the Gospel, and how do we become holy, because we're commanded in verse 14 to be holy like the Lord, well, we become holy through the Word. And as we look at this passage, I reminded you that last Sunday morning, there, were, there are four Different uh, imperatives, four different commands, beginning in verse 13 through uh, the end of chapter 1, that Peter is teaching those that were scattered abroad, and he's teaching to you and I here at Flat Creek. And the first one of those that we uh, looked at last Sunday morning was found in verse 13. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation. Of Jesus Christ. We are to fix our hope completely on grace because of the coming revelation of Jesus Christ. And he mentions that a couple of times here in the latter part of chapter one. What's the reason for our hope? Well, the first thing is in verse 13, our hope rests on grace. So the reason for our hope is the grace of God. Secondly, in verse 15, he commands us, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your Conduct. So, like the one who is holy, those of us that uh, claim to be followers of the Lord Jesus Christ are to grow in holiness. We are to be holy in all our behavior. So, the first thing we do is hope in God's grace. And secondly, if we're resting on the grace of God, then we're to grow in holiness to become like God. Thirdly, verse 17 says, and if you call him a father who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear. So we're to rest on grace, we're to grow in holiness, and we are to conduct ourselves in the reverential fear of God because, in verses 18 through 20, Peter defines this is the reason why we're to live godly lives. Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things, like silver or gold, from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers. But with the precious blood of Christ, as a lamb without blemish and without spot, he indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who through him, believe in God, who raised him from the dead. That is a central element of Peter's writing. We will see it a number of times through both of his epistles. And it is the key element of the gospel. No resurrection, no gospel. The crucifixion would have been null and void without the resurrection. But we have been blessed, and Jesus was raised from the dead. God did give him glory, as Peter writes, so that your faith and your hope may be in God. Now that brings us to verse 22. First slide, if you would. 139, brother, thank you. Uh, Let's see. Yeah, purified your souls. There we go. Okay. Notice what he says here in verse 22. Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth. When this occurs, it brings about sincere love of the brethren. The first and really, the, one of the primary elements of being born again is it teaches us to love the church. The church. Yes, we are to love sinners, unsaved sinners. But Peter here is speaking to a group that had been scattered abroad the Roman Empire, and they were fearful. So he's saying one of the earmarks of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and one of the primary ones is that we are to purify our souls by obedience? We heard that one of the four elements that they, the youth, were taught at camp was obedience, and that never leaves us. So purification is not only unto obedience; we become purified in order that we obey. But secondly, obedience comes by our purification. So the more we grow in grace, the more we grow in holiness, the more we will obey. And when we obey God's truth, the greater the purification to holiness. The more our souls are purified, and we spent some time going back to 1 Chronicles chapter 15 last Sunday and looking at what the word purification means there. The more our souls are purified, the greater our obedience. To be sure, none of us obey like we should. And when we leave this world, as believers, we should mature in the grace and mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ and the sanctification of the Spirit of God, but when we leave this world, we still will not have obeyed as we should, but the holiness that is given to us, one of the elements of God's grace, should bring us to a purification, increasing our obedience. Now, the word purify, then I talked to to close the sermon out last Sunday with this particular phrase. I mentioned at the outset of of 1 Peter. In fact, it's uh, consistent in 1 Peter and 2 Peter. When Peter quotes from the Old Testament, he quotes using the Septuagint. Again, don't get confused with that word. It simply means uh, it's the Greek translation of the Old Testament. And so Jesus quoted from it. Paul quoted from it. Peter quoted from it. John quoted from it. It was the most common circulated copy of the Old Testament during their lives. And so he uses the word purified, and we took some time, as I said, to go back and look at 1 Chronicles chapter 15, also look at James 4 and 1 John chapter 3 last Sunday so that we would understand what uh, Peter is speaking uh, about when he talks about purification. And so I closed out with basically this question last Sunday morning. Are we the folk, the constituency, if you please, the congregation of Flat Creek? Are we purified such that we are obedient to the truth? Now, interestingly enough, when you look at verse 22, he says, since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth. When we obey the truth, the literal rendering of that, as Peter is writing, is hyper-hearing. It's a clarity which now, at my age, I don't hear as well as I did many years ago. Sometimes that hearing is selective. Maybe I don't want to hear as well as I did. And sometimes we come to the house of the Lord and we look at the preacher and we never think or never never hear what is being said. Well, that's not hyperhearing. So, the understanding of hyperhearing that Peter is writing about is hearing beyond the simple sensory practice of conversation. That's not hyper hearing. Next slide, if you please. Hyper hearing is he that has ears to hear. Notice that second bullet. God wants hearing not only in the physical ears, but he wants it in the ears of the soul. He wants the word to reach down and Change us. And that doesn't happen with just cursory hearing. Sometimes you're outside. Sometimes you may be in the house. Something may fall. You may hear some uh, a dog bark or whatever. And it takes you by surprise. You become startled and you jump. And that's because the sound, it was an unexpected sound that reached your ears. What happens when this occurs? You become a lot more alert. That's the defense response that the Lord has given to us. So we we become alert. And what Peter is saying here is be alert to what is being said. And then he follows with this grand description about the Word of God. Now, look at verse 22, if you would. Since you have purified yourselves in obeying the truth through the Spirit in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart. So what's being said here? Well, there's a couple of things. First bullet, the two words for love that Peter is using. He says in the beginning of this verse, he says, you need to have sincere love of the brethren. What is that? That is the Philadelphia type of love. It is the familial type of love. It's the love that is in the family And then he goes on to say, love one another fervently. So he's stepping from the Philadelphia type of love, that's the word that's used there, to the love one another fervently or the agopeo, the divine moral love. So yes, we're to love each other as a family. We talk often about Flat Creek being the, the Flat Creek family, and that's important. Families are important to God. It's important that we stress that and that we have opportunity to express that to each other. But Peter says there is more to loving the brethren ju- than just having this familial, um, I'm happy to see you, how was your week, what, were you, what did you do on vacation, those types of things. There is, sorry I was talking about it this morning, there is the sacrificial love taking something or setting something aside that we love in order that the good be had by the other person. And that's what Peter is saying here. So he says to love fervently. He says to love intently. Look at 1 Peter chapter 4. He uses the word again. Peter is very repetitious in a lot of his uh, writing. So look if, look if you would... Um, verse 7 of 1 Peter 4 but the end of all things is at hand therefore be serious and watchful in your prayers. Now Peter wrote this 2,000 years ago and 2,000 years ago Peter This is where holiness comes in. This is where the hearing comes in. And how vitally important it is for us to do that. The ears of the soul is where God wants us to listen to what is taking place in and through the word of God. So, put this little simile up here. Perhaps you can remember this. I am the gospel. I am the good news. It's not a formula. It's not a procedure. It's the person of Jesus Christ. seed that God plants in our souls through his word. No truth, no purification. But no truth, K N O W, no truth, then you will know purification. You will grow in holiness. Now suffice it to say we our culture is is against the ideas. It is antithetical Objective truth in our culture today is antithetical. In other words, people don't really believe in objective truth. It's my truth, and my truth differs from your truth. Well, objective truth doesn't change. It does not change. You hop on an airplane, you take a trip from point A to point B. If you decide to jump out of the airplane, the objective truth of gravity will probably take your life. And whether you... Agree with that or not means a great deal. And so the objective truth that we see here in the New Testament, the truth that Peter is talking about is important because around us, our kids, our youth, our students, our young adults, our median adults, senior adults, we are surrounded with people that do not uh, subject themselves to objective truth. It, is, it permeates our society. And so the biblical truth is always objective. And from verse 17, we learn that God is an impartial judge. And because of that, it's, God's truth is not only objective, but God, God's truth is impartial. In other words, it means it will, I will be judged by the truth of God as well as you. Now, one of the things that truth does, one of the the things that the objective truth of God does is it binds our consciences. Every one of you here this morning has a conscience, and God instilled that within it. Now, if we don't subject ourselves to the objective truth of the Word of God, one of the things that can happen to our conscience is that it can become seared. And our culture being against objective truth, we are watching the searing of consciences. God's people should not, not subject themselves to their own prepositional or partial truth. We should be given to the word of God. Turn with me to Second Thessalonians chapter two, back a couple of books. Second Thessalonians, Chapter Two. Paul is here writing to the Church of Thessalon- uh, Thessalonica about. Uh, uh, The events of the last times. We talked about this, we learned about this in our Sunday school class this morning. Look, if you would, at uh, verse 9. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan, with all power, signs, and lying wonders. Satan is, as far as we know from Scripture, Satan has never told the truth. Never. Jesus called him the father of liars. He may have twisted it, but twisting the truth is the same as lying. So he says, according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish, because they did not receive the love in the truth or of the truth. And when they don't receive the love of the truth, notice what Paul says, that they might be saved. The objective truth of God is given to us to bring about the good news so that we may be delivered from the wrath that is to come. And that's, look at verse 11. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion. God will send them strong delusion. What takes place here? The searing of consciousness because, a searing of conscience rather, because they will not submit themselves to the objective truth of God will lead to an an inability to even know or recognize the truth. God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lies who did not believe that they all might be con- uh, may be condemned, who did not believe the truth. You have to believe the truth in order to be saved. You have to believe the truth in order to uh, not to be deluded in our present culture or in the culture that is to come at the last time. Who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. The searing of consciences. Now, that can be avoided by submitting ourselves, by obeying the truth of the gospel. Next slide, if you would, brother. Now, here's one of the earmarks, uh, several earmarks here, of what we're talking about this morning. Pay special attention to this. It is not enough simply to hear the truth. Hearing the truth doesn't change. It's not enough just to recite the truth in biblical creeds or memorize scripture. It is not enough to affirm our agreement with the propositions of truth. Peter says that believers are to hyper-hear the truth and obey it. Hearing it does not change us. Hearing is the agency that will bring about change, but just hearing it alone, just reciting it alone, just memorizing it alone, without the ears of the soul responding, we become like The individuals Paul was writing about to the church at Thessalonica. Now, in order to obey the truth, it comes about by the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God is the author of the truth of God, He's the author of the Word. He is the active agent that brings us the Word. Jesus is. The living Word and the Holy Spirit looks to Jesus and from Jesus and the teaching that we have from Him and the thoughts of God that began with, as Moses began to pen Genesis chapter 1, and when John completed that in Revelation twenty two twenty one, 21, this is the whole compendium, if you please, of what God wants us to know. It's certainly not everything God knows. But it's what God wants us to know in order that we obey this objective truth. And this obedience that Peter is writing about only comes about by the Spirit of God. What Paul wrote about in Second Thessalonians, what Peter is writing about here in First Peter, he's talking about sanctification. Growth in holiness is just sanctification. And it's always dependent on the work and the energy of God's Spirit. It requires the spirit of God. When you study the Word of God, one of the first things that that I do when I sit down to begin to put together the notes that I've looked at and made notes about the whole the entire week in order to try to put these into some type of uh, logical fashion, if you please, is to pray. God, the Holy Spirit, give me insight into the truth, because you are its author. You're its author. I'm not. I'm the recipient. I'm not the author. Give me insight so that I can take what I have studied, what the Word says, I can put it in some format in order that it may be preached and proclaimed so that people will hyper- Hear the word of God. And the third bullet. You and I will never obey the truth of God apart from the power, the grace, and the work of the Spirit. It does not happen By chance. It happens because we work and we work diligently. Religious and irreligious people disobey the gospel. Read the gospels. Which sect of the Jews? were the greatest enemy of Jesus. The religious people. The Pharisees. They did not obey the gospel. Religious and irreligious people disobey the good news of the gospel. Moral folk can be Just as far from God as agnostics, atheists, and unbelievers. It's not simply enough to hear. It's not simply enough to recite. It's not simply enough to affirm our agreement with the the propositions of truth contained in that. We must obey the truth. Flat Creek should approach the Bible as Merrill Tinney, a great man passed away a number of years ago, wrote this. He said we should approach the Bible in a spirit of eagerness, seeking the mind of God, in a spirit of humility, listening to the voice of God, in a spirit of adventure, pursuing the will of God and in a spirit of adoration resting in the presence of God. And that will not happen. Eagerness, humility, spirit of adventure, spirit of adoration without the book. Great gospel hymns and songs and choruses that we sing, they're wonderful. Many What, what uh, Mike selects and uh, our music team selects and plays for us, they, these are wonderful but they have to be gleaned from the book. From the book. Baptists have always been a people of the book. And when churches that call themselves Baptists fail to adhere to the book, they're not Baptists. Well, they may have a name, but historically, for hundreds of years, We've been people of the book. I've told you this scores of times. You know why the pulpit is in the center of uh, a Baptist church? You go into some churches and the pulpit's off to the side or it's lifted up, but it's off to the side. You know why it's in the center? Because it's where the book is proclaimed. That's what we want. That's what we desire, a spirit of eagerness to seek the mind of God, a spirit of humility to listen to the voice of God, hyper-hearing, a spirit of adventure so we, we pursue the will of God. And we're not going to pursue the will of God if we don't know the Word. Oh, we may go off helter-skelter. Well, God told me to do this. I mean, How many times have you heard, well, you know, I'm living with a person. because God told me, no, he did not. He did not. A God told you, your God, but not the God of the Bible. God help us and forgive us of our insincerity about the Word of God. Next slide, brother. We're going to close with these five this morning five reasons for purification when obeying the truth. So I think there's a couple of slides here, so bear with me. The first reason for our purification, he says, purifying your souls by obeying the truth. The first reason is that when we obey the truth, we are, look at verse 23, we're born again. Now, we won't, make it to verse 23 or at least in any detail this morning but one of the things I want you to see is that you have been born again not of corruptible seed. The word of God is spoken of often in the Bible by the use of the word seed. It's analogous to the word of God. And then Peter does an amazing thing. He quotes from Isaiah 40 which We may or might may not get there this morning. But in Isaiah forty, Isaiah is writing to the Hebrew people about returning to the Word. So Peter, knowing the Bible, quotes from Isaiah forty. Verse twenty three. We're born again not of corruptible seed. Now that corruptible seed is a reference to procreation. The seed, the sperm, the egg, when they unite, a human is formed. does not matter whether they can sustain themselves or not. God created so that the mother would sustain the baby until such time as it would would be delivered. Corruptible seed is human seed. And the Bible is not human seed, it is incorruptible. It will never die. Heaven and earth, Jesus said, shall pass away but my words will endure forever. That's comforting for the believer, and that's shocking for the unbeliever. We're born again. We're regenerated. We're born from above through the incorruptible seed of God's word. One of the great great messages that Billy Graham preached a number of years ago from John 3, And he brought in Titus chapter 3 as well. He talked about being born again, being born from above, being regenerated. Secondly, one of the reasons for our purification when we obey the truth is when we obey the truth of Christ, we believe. Turn to Romans chapter 10. We've looked at this. We preached through this, obviously, when we were in the book of Romans. Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10 is the responsibility of man what we are to do with the truth of the gospel. Verse 14 How how then shall they call on him in whom they've not believed? How then shall they believe on him of whom they have not heard? How shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall he preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace who bring glad tidings of good things, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. We believe through believing, gifted of faith by the word. We obey the gospel when we believe it. That's the first step. Every proclamation of the person work of Jesus implies that the hearer should trust and obey. What a marvelous understanding of that great hymn. Thirdly, when we obey the truth of Christ, we accept as true the panorama of his person. Everything that the Bible teaches about Jesus from his pre-incarnate, From the Christophanies that are seen in the Old Testament all the way through to His incarnation, to the virgin birth, to His sinless life, through His preaching, through His teaching, through the almost 40 miracles that we have recorded in all of the Gospels, through His betrayal, through His uh, insufficient trial, through His persecution, through His torment, through His passion. Everything about Jesus he is God's appointed verses 20 and 21 we saw that he indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world and he is God's anointed look back at verse 3 blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead he's both appointed and he's anointed And we obey the truth when our faith and hope rests in him. Look over at verse 24 of chapter 2. Where Peter writes, Who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you are healed. Fourth. When we obey the truth of Christ, we are equipped to understand the authority of God's Word. This is one of those great blessings of God that we miss. The more we spend time in the Word, the more that we listen to good teaching and preaching, the more that we read good books that teach us about who Jesus is and about the nature of God and who we are, the more we are equipped to understand the authority of God's Word. We live in a society that talks about experts. Oh, let's let's get an expert. Let's talk to an expert. Well, sometimes the experts aren't really experts. In order for us to grow and to understand the authority of God's word we will need to obey the prepositional objective truth of Christ we should believe that the gospel we should believe the gospel because it summons a response if you're here this morning and you're unsaved we're going to close here in just a moment we will give you a time to respond to the gospel Every person, every person must respond to the gospel. Well, I believe the gospel, but I just can't go to church. God, help us. You're not obeying the gospel. We should believe the gospel because it summons a response. And this applies for unsaved. It applies to saved. The word never returns void. It accomplishes what God intends for to accomplish through his spirit. And that response is obedience. The spirit gifts us with faith that passively saves. Next slide. We looked at four reasons for our purification. We'll look at the fifth one here in just a moment. Faith is not just passive. Or oh, I believed no faith is active. Peter would use this, this uh, uh, phrase from Joel chapter 2 as he preached on the day of Pentecost. And he said, and everyone that calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Do you understand that's found in the Old Testament? Peter didn't make it up in Acts chapter 2. He was preaching from the book of Joel. Everyone that calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. There's no exclusion. You know who puts the exclusion there? We do. Trying to be smart. Everyone that calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, there's a corollary here. Everyone that does not call on the name of the Lord will not be delivered. Romans 1, verse 16, Paul in the introduction to that great epistle said that the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone that believes. To everyone that believes, there's a corollary there. The gospel is the power of God for salvation, but not to those that disbelieve. Is it effectual? Not to those that disbelieve. Peter is very clear, Paul is very clear. In obedience to these truths, not only delivers us from the father's wrath but he brings the power and glory of God to all who believe that's what peter is saying here when sinners fail to call out to christ they disobey the gospel and they suffer the consequences of disobedience look at first peter go to first peter chapter 4 we were in it just a moment ago peter writes about it again in chapter 4 verse 17 for the time has come that judgment begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? The Bible is very clear about the end of those that do not obey the gospel of God. It's no debate. It's not allegory. It's a literal understanding of what the word says. Verse 18, now, if the righteous one is scarcely saved, where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? That's a quote from the book of Proverbs, Old Testament quote. Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good to a faithful creator. So faith is active, and it must act on the Word. Number five, and with this we'll close. When we obey the truth of Christ, we love one another fervently. It doesn't say when we obey the truth of Christ, we agree with one another. Because let's face it, we don't. Sometimes we do. Many times we don't, but that's not what Peter is writing. Peter says, when we obey the truth of Christ, we love one another fervently. Biblically, now notice uh, that when we looked at verse 22, I reminded you that he talks twice about love in that verse. Sincere love is the Philadelphia love, and then he talks about the fervent love, which is agapeo love. Biblically, love is both a feeling and a way of life. The gospel purifies our wayward hearts and teaches us to love like the Trinity. That's why we are to preach the gospel to ourselves every day. Every day. I want to close with this this morning. Look at verse 22. You'll hear this again next Sunday morning. But look at verse 22 and then look at the end of verse 25. Notice how Peter um, bookends these verses. Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth, through the spirit and sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart. The latter part of verse 25, now this is the word which by the gospel was preached to you. How do you do that? This is the word which by the gospel was preached to you. Peter's not exhausting everything that the Spirit of God has given him, but he is declaring to us. Believers ought to preach the gospel to ourselves every day, and unbelievers ought to respond in obedience to the gospel when it's presented. This is the Word of God. Will we obey it? Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for your Son. We thank you for the opportunity we have to proclaim the word. We thank you that Peter, scores of years ago, under inspiration of the Spirit, as he was writing to these that were hurting in the middle stages of the Roman Empire, he was writing to to comfort them. And then he quotes from Isaiah 40, which begins, Comfort ye, comfort ye, my people." Lord Jesus, how we need that comfort today. Forgive us where we doubt the word. Forgive us where we disobey the word. Make us like Christ through the teaching of the Spirit of God. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I'm going to sing a closing hymn this morning. Just one verse. And Give you opportunity to respond to the summons of the Word of God, to the summons of the Spirit of God. What number are we going to sing, Brother Mike? 296? 296. 294, 294, I'm sorry. There goes my hearing. That wasn't hyper hearing this morning. Have thine own way, Lord, if... The Lord has spoken to you. This we sing one verse, one verse only. You need to respond. This is your opportunity, and it's your responsibility. The Lord's.